welcome to another episode of The Brown Box. Well, today is going to be a somber episode. Just to give you guys a quick background, we had a whole episode just ready to be put out. It's all edited. We decided to hold that episode back for a little bit because of the current news cycle. And it is a heavy one because all of the debate around police brutality, just the oppression of African-Americans, death of George Floyd, it it's all created a very, very big sort of discussion forum uh, amongst people all around the world. And it's pretty much a global movement now. So we would be remiss not to talk about it. And that is today's topic. But that being said, we'll also be touching on the different aspects of race relations in America. But we do want to tackle the overarching theme of uh, police brutality because true change, even if George Floyd does get justice, uh, true change will not be able to, we won't be able to influence true change if the inherent policing system and the sort of bias that the policing system has against African Americans is not changed. So I think that's why it's a very important yeah, okay. discussion topic to start off this, this whole podcast. Yeah, and just from what you said, speaking of uh, the systemic kind of, uh, the idea of systemic racism that plagues certain communities in this country, like, I've actually found that idea kind of interesting. I, I don't know if the problem, so I feel like what's been happening lately is that, like, yes, people are being shot and killed by the police, but I'm not entirely, I, I think the scope is a lot broader than even politicians would allow you to think. I think politicians actually find it, I think they find it safe to say that, oh, it's only like policemen are like inherently biased against like the black community, right? Because then it's just like, oh, more implicit bias training and you're done. But what I see a lot is like actually just policemen who are like way too trigger happy, right? And they end up shooting people like regardless of your color. So you talk about like all happened in Minneapolis, right? So Justine Damon, Australian, Australian white yoga teacher comes and knocks on the policeman's door in her in her uh, like in her morning gown. Namaste. <laughs> and she's shot, right? She's shot. Yeah. And then you see like a Kai Gurley, right? Where like it's a pitch black um, hallway. And Peter like Officer Peter Liang, you know, draws his gun, misfires and shoots at a wall in a right cockets and kills a Kai Gurley right there and he's convicted, right? So I think what politicians and people are failing to kind of tackle is that there's just this systematic culture in the police in our police force about being too trigger happy. I, I think that transcends race. I think that's the problem. I think that's the biggest problem, that these police shootings do transcend race. Right. Um, in that extent. And I'm not like trying to disqualify. I'm not like all lives matter. I'm not trying to disqualify like the struggle of African American communities. I mean, it's it's really bad, right? Like um, police, police shootings, regardless of race, and especially for African Americans, sixth leading cause of death yeah. amongst 25 to 29 year olds. That's, that's fucking insane. I mean, listen, man. Let but me... I think there's a, a deeper problem, and that scares me. No, no, and what thing is that scares yeah, me? I'm not trying to discount any no, community totally, statements. Totally. This scares me. Totally. And just something that just hit me. So I, when I was researching for this podcast, you know, I, I honestly had no idea where to start because let me clarify this first of all i am not an american citizen i am an indian citizen personally you know i try to sort of distance myself obviously i follow american politics very closely but i still distance myself a little bit from the sort of american side of politics and try to focus on what's happening in my own country because i'm not gonna get a green card i'm not gonna get citizenship anytime soon Rip. so there's no you know there's just there's there's not I, I don't have as much skin in the game if you want to put it that way you know but the first time that this police brutality came to my attention was when i was 14 years old this is when i was living in singapore mm -hmm. and the death of eric garner if you want to talk about that it just 
it's insane how much Eric Garner's death or how much George Floyd's death reminds me of Eric Garner's death because yeah. it happened under the exactly the same circumstances. Yeah, exactly. The same exact circumstances. You know, the police used lethal force, you know, and their justification was that he was a big man. You know, they had to use that lethal police force yeah, to And he's, what, he's selling him. Lucy, he's selling freaking cigarettes on the street. That's it. Listen, That's it. Yeah, he was a horticulturist who worked with the Parks and Recreation Department in New York City, you know. A totally harmless guy. Yeah. He, he was, just like George Floyd. You know, George Floyd was, I think he was a bouncer working at a club. Again, completely harmless, unless you were drunk, I'm assuming. Yeah. But just the police killed both of them the exact same way. Asphyxiation, you know, they used excessive force to restrain someone who they didn't even have enough evidence against, by the way, and the person died. What were both of their last words? I can't breathe. Can't breathe yeah. You know, you had the whole I can't breathe movement happen in 2014. And there were there were three big mass shootings. 2014 was a big decisive year, you know. Michael Brown, um, Garner. Exactly. Michael Brown, Eric Garner. Uh, I'm forgetting. Again, see, we're all, we're all guilty of this. Now I'm forgetting the third... Big, big. It's become like mundane almost. Like you exactly. Stage, you that's stage, how mundane like, it is. Oh shit. Exactly. Yeah. That's how. That's, that's how mundane insane. it is. Oh well, I guess another black man shot today. You yeah. know, and that's particularly why I think sort of the racial aspect of this comes into play. Okay. I know that there is something inherently wrong within the very aggressive policing system that you talked about. And in order to bring about effective change, you do need to change that policing system, which is why we want to discuss police brutality in general. And you were right in also saying that you can't discount the racial politics that come into play here because I feel like somewhere the bias is against the African-American community where they are perceived to be way more dangerous, you know? It's almost as if if you talk to... I guess any adult member of the African-American community, they would all have some sort of story about, you know, dealing with the police. And that's just, that's just such a pervasive theme around this country. And it just, it baffles me as to why there hasn't been an effective change, you know? And I think the reason there hasn't been an effective change is because the police system is allowed to continue the way that it has been for decades and decades, you know? So, and just going back to that history of the police system, I want to touch upon like one of my family members' um, experiences, not directly with the police, but just as an Indian uh, immigrant kind of growing up and seeing what his fellow Americans were kind of having to go through in certain areas of the country with certain members of uh, certain police forces, right? So back in like, uh, probably like in the 90s, right, where my, oh, the family member I talked about was like in uh, NC State, so North Carolina, right? He was, he was just studying like you know, engineering, like a good Indian, like a good Indian. You know? What else would he be studying? Because yeah. <laughs> anything else would just end up disappointing yeah. his parents. Yeah. yeah and sorry, he, mom. Sorry. He remembers, dad. of course, reading about like Rodney King, right? That, that was like ubiquitous. But he remembers also turning on the television and he, he saw these two black youths like grab a uh, white trucker and beat him with bricks. And nobody was there. No police force was there, right? It was a really, really remote area of the country. And, but there were, I mean, there were cameramen there, CNN, like, or whatever, like, there were cameramen there at the end of the day. And the cameramen, they did nothing to save the white guy, right? They did nothing. So I think what you have to ask is, like, I think all this violence, all this looting, this media, it's helping someone. Like, it's never, like, action or inaction you take, it's always helping a certain community. In that case, it was to stir white, white backlash, right? So, like, my dad came back home. Oh, well, yeah, so it was my dad. My dad came back home. Uh, to like North Carolina, he later went to NYU, and he saw all his white friends like arguing for like minimum mandatory sentences, right in the Clinton era and the Reagan era. He saw like a whole cultural shift kind of change because of this like enormous white backlash, this white fear, you know, of of the other, of the black, of the whoever kind of racial criminal 
identity, you know, the crime right. took on essentially, right? 100%. They're, and he just saw, I think it was really interesting, you know what I mean? That there always will be, that there always has been for like decades now, like this kind of otherization of, of, of criminals. It's, yeah. And, and that this violence will always help someone. It will totally. always be fueled to help it's, backlash. It's, and it sucks. It's, it's scary. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah. fur, that further perpetuates or allows police to kind of carry on these acts with impunity. And I because think they have that kind of community backlash that's with them. And it's scary. Yeah. And, you know, I think I'm really scared of what the media is doing with this news now as well. Because what I really don't want to happen is for the media to put a spin on it such that it almost turns into a weird race war kind of dynamic, exactly. right? Because yeah, that is, about that, that is, yeah, that is, that is disgusting. That is something that can really, really happen. And probably has happened before, you know, because let's let's think about it this way, right? For all of this time, you know, when Rodney King happened, all of the massive riots that took place then, conservative media and also the Can't Breathe movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. If I had to think of one particular media house that is the most guilty of this, and you can probably guess which one it is, the one, the only yeah. Fox, Fox News. <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. I was actually watching it yesterday. Uh, yeah. Talk about that. Like, later. I was so while while researching for this podcast, I was looking at the coverage of uh, Eric Garner's death, right? Okay. And okay. Because the similarities just it just struck me, you know, and I was like. Well, this is just history repeating itself, and I want to see the media's response. You know, it's almost as if if I look at the media's response, I'll be able to predict the media response in the future. So, looking at the coverage on Eric Garner's death and just Sean Hannity in prime time covering it was just, he was, and I mean, Sean Hannity is now the face of Fox News after Bill O'Reilly was, well, they say he left, but he was fired. So, yeah, now Sean Hannity being the sort of de facto face of Fox News. He was talking about how the chokehold that the police officer then was putting on to Eric Garner was, he said, as a martial artist, Sean Hannity was like, as a martial artist student myself, I know know now that this chokehold is non-lethal and the reason he probably died is just because, you know, of other underlying conditions that he probably has. But these officers do misuse, like, military-grade tactics. Like, these are tactics that are supposed to be used to subdue violent people Mm -hmm. and they misuse it. They don't know how long to put this guy in a chokehold or whatever. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, listen. Like, they're doing it like this or whatever and they they don't know how how long to hold him. So that's why you end up sitting on this fucker for, like, nine minutes. Nine minutes! Exactly. Properly trained is my is one of the big problems. That makes complete sense because here's and this is a very very troubling statistic. Yeah. hundred and thirty hours at a normal police academy are spent in firearm training, and only eight hours are spent in conflict de-escalation. Now you tell me which is more important for a patrolling police officer. If you're a SWAT team, yeah, I want you to be trained properly. You know, if you're a Navy SEAL, I want you to be trained properly because that is effective combat training that you will be probably implementing 24/7 while you're out there on the field. Yeah. As a patrolling officer, why do you need 130 hours in? Well, okay, you know what? Give 130 hours in firearm training. Be completely proficient with that. All right. But why only eight hours in conflict de-escalation? That is the big problem. You know, I'm not saying take away from the firearm training because the American police force, and this is with all due respect, is one of the best trained forces in the world. They know how to handle themselves in very tense situations better than others, right? If they had to respond to certain, you know, Hollywood type out of the box situations. 
But that being said, why only eight hours in conflict de-escalation for a patrol officer since that is his main job? Everything you know? is a war. That's the that's the dark side of being too prepared, man. Exactly. You have to use that 130 hours, man. Everything is a war zone now. And yeah, so it's you versus aggressive them. training. And again, that's what I don't want the media to portray it as, you know, because think about it this way. After 9-11, when there was that sort of shift that the media acted towards, before that, it was black people, you know, before 9-11 happened, and then more, Arabs, more or less. So. Then for a little bit, it was Arabs during the Iraq war during 9-11, but then when everyone saw what a blunder the Bush administration was and how badly they dealt with it and when yeah. there was a decisive decrease in terrorist attacks within the United States at the hands of Muslim extremists or Islamic extremists, they shifted focus back towards the black people again there's there's no black easier there's yeah. there's no easier way to put it because i would say like the incarceration the, the overall um you know death rate at the hands of the police just continued to increase you know it was yeah. just a weird shift and i i would say like the media is to blame for this like let's let, let's be honest you know there is and when i say media i mean i would argue almost all forms of media you know like there was a massive outcry and there has been for a while uh, you talk about the music industry right just the fact the fact that the music industry you know when you when you think of african american culture what do most people think of hip hop you know and we've all cringed when a brown boy tries to you know imitate drake or when a white boy tries to act like lil yadi you know yeah. it's not let's be honest it's not you know it's when 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 it's not their culture you know and they try to sort of copy it in this weird outlandish way so it point. is yeah <laughs> it's, it's 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 very problematic listen sketches was a fire song you know that yeah, was yeah. that was indian culture that was, that was that was that was homage exactly that was an appropriation was right there exactly i mean listen tiger <laughs> hopped onto the remix anyway we're, yeah. we're getting off topic here um what i really wanted to say was there's been a massive outcry by the fact that record executives, you know, and record owners, they are mostly white, you know, and they are marketing black culture in what a lot of cultural experts deem harmful because sort of the control of black culture and the way that black people want to spread it is not in black hands. It is in the hands of a pasty old white dude who's the head of a, a record executive company, essentially. Obviously, all of the work involved is hip hop artists, black hip hop artists, yeah. you know, that's the work that they put in. But the way that it's marketed ultimately falls into the hands of record executives, you know? Yeah. So that's one aspect in which there's been a, an outcry against media. And the second thing that we have to address now, because you can't talk about this topic if you don't address politics as well, you know, because people have theories. I don't want to lend credence to a lot of, uh, you know, outlandish theories, but people are saying that the reason that Trump is so anti-looting, anti-protest is because he essentially wants to enact martial law, you know, and that's why he's very, that's why he's very forceful against governors to just sort of enact and send out as many soldiers as possible. And listen, he's been downplaying this coronavirus angle for a while. He's been saying coronavirus is not too bad, yeah. but suddenly when light rioting and shooting and whatever protesting yeah. started, he started up, he started playing up the coronavirus angle and saying, listen, you can't protest during these times, you know? Oh, and yeah. he was like, he was like, listen, Governors, send out your National Guard, uh, mobilize the shit out of the police force. People are saying that I mean, he wants to do that to enact martial law. He ran on like a law know? and order platform, though. That was his whole, you know, spiel. Right, but Since the fact the 80s, that's been like the real, but 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 the, but, but, know, but the so. fact that he wants to enact martial law right before an election in the middle of a global pandemic, you know, it's and. He's and he's literal. I don't think he's gonna though. I don't, <laughs> I don't think he's gonna enact martial law, man. Nah, bro, bro, come on. If you, the military. 
He's already got the military in some parts of the country. Yeah, National Guard, right? National Guard, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and he's, he's, he is mobilizing National Guard already, you know? Yeah. And I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that this is going to happen. I Personally, I don't think that Trump is smart enough to do this. Okay. Maybe some, certain people in his cabinet would be. But, you know, it's just very problematic that he still wants to keep playing up that election angle when the movement that we're in, the, because ultimately he wants to win the next election as well. You know, even yeah, during the pandemic, he's been putting these massive election campaign ads, you know, and just campaigning for his election again, <laughs> rather than, yeah. The, the fucking gosh. Yeah, the, no, exactly. Yeah, the, the, yeah, he's, 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 he's putting out all these ads rather than focusing on an appropriate response to the pandemic or the protests. And that's the angle that I think he's taking. And that is a very, very, it's a very harmful approach to take towards this whole situation. And okay. it could lead to, it already has led to massive outcries. People on all platforms are sort of against him. Mm-hmm. Don't let the media play up his tactics. You know, the last thing that we want is the media sort of propagating Trump's approach and saying that all of this protesting is banned it has to be soft protesting you know no changes ever come out of soft protesting because there's no right way of protesting and we're gonna get back to this in more detail after a quick break all right guys we're back uh we're here to talk about yeah now the protesting right so Brennan and i've been discussing what has come out of hard or or so on soft protesting the imposition of possible martial law bro in responses but i think the media is definitely to blame for this like by showing so much protesting, like the only solu- only viable solution to seeing that, to seeing your cities bur- burned down, would be yeah martial law. Is what you're forced to think by the media. You yeah. know what I mean? Now let's so let's let's talk corner. let's talk about the the protesting real quick before we get into real meat of the podcast was meant to be police brutality, but we did spend a lot of time talking about race relations and stuff already. So let's just talk about protests real quick, and yeah. then we'll start discussing police brutality in, and how we can affect change in the policing yeah. system in greater detail. But protests, what do you think? Well, actually, just, I think just kind of meta, but just the fact that we have to discuss the nature of how we're protesting and, and stop talking about police brutality just shows how far like politicians, the media has allowed us to distract ourselves with like the nuances of protesting rather than focusing on, hey, you know, another person died, this is a problem, you know what I mean? Like, and I think looting, that's why like all this, I think looting is honestly like counterintuitive, man. Like that's why it's counterproductive because you take away the message, you allow, because everyone is, was unanimous across the political spectrum that George Floyd's death did not need to happen, that there has to be systemic change. You know, Republican, Democrat, there's all there, all the consensus. But the consensus breaks down when you reach the point of pro- the, the violent protesting, the looting, and that's why I don't want to see. I, I think the movement is going to shoot itself in the foot. And we're already seeing that too, right? Like, with the looting, who's doing the looting? Yes, maybe it's some, like, black people. Maybe it's some BLM protesters. But a lot of it is, I've heard from, A, white supremacist groups, white anarchist groups, and B, Antifa, people who have, like, wrecked their lives with this idea of, like, white guilt, that there is some original sin that is found in a certain race. You know what I mean? I, th- I think it's mind-boggling. And to act on those impulses, whether it's, like, whether you're acting on, like, white supremacist impulses or whether you're acting upon more like far left white guilt impulses and that now are like defaming Starbucks right? Burning down police precincts in the name of Black Lives Matter. That's also so self-destructive. And I think that's really scary. I yeah. think the, the movement That just perpetuates the cycle of African-Americans being more harmful because the way that yeah, media the media would cover it with as well, right? Because I feel like the way a lot of media, especially the conservative media would portray it as is like most of the people who are looters and burners are probably people of color, right? Yeah. And that, that would 
essentially be even more problematic. And that being said, it's and also I, I don't important. know if that's true, but a lot of white people are also, yeah. and from, from across the political spectrum, they're doing this. Jake Paul. Unnecessarily. Jake, Jake Paul, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I those mean, five finger discounts. Was, but just like. Listen, he was like, always harmful to society. Yeah, we didn't need to see him looting for us to realize that. YouTube, I'm yeah. talking to you. But, but for real, this, this yeah. polarization along racial lines just for like the sense of like, sake of like looting that. You either are against blacks, or you're so for blacks that you have to like tear down a tear down a, like a police precinct, or you're so against blacks, of course you have to like shoot them, which is fucked up. Uh, that goes without saying. But I think it's yeah. still this idea of like far left, like this idea of white guilt is like I think it's just gonna like implode the movement where you just see like these white anarchists, white mm. antifa, or white supremacists who go around damaging buildings in the sake of like saving the other white knight. Actually, just it's all just a form of white knighting on a macro scale. I think we can all agree. Whoa, very whoa, whoa, harmful. Sorry, what exactly do you mean by white knighting? Like, oh, just uh, like you know, like the white, the knight, the white, knighting. the knight in shining armor, right? Coming to is save it? the black princess, essentially, right? From the hands of like the, jail, the jail cell, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the police precinct, right? Sure, sure. It's... I think it's really bad on a macro level, and I think yeah. we're seeing that playing out because like a lot of these BLM people are so so kind, so peaceful, yeah, and so principled, yeah. But a lot of the white anarchists on the other side. They have no principles. And there's so they many just do of anything them. for the cloud. I mean, there's, it's fucking insane. There's so many of them online just justifying rioting and looting when what they don't realize is that a lot of the rioting and looting that is happening is in primarily black neighborhoods, poor black neighborhoods. That's true. So that's the rioting and looting that happens is actually hurting people, quote unquote, in the hood because that's... Yeah. I mean, I mean, and that's the problem. So you're essentially looting from the people that you're protesting for, you know? Yeah. And in a lot of cases, the looting is excessive. Peaceful protest should be the norm, but when I say that, you know, there's just something that we all need to realize and that is that, you know, no no proper change has ever been enacted in just a very soft form of protesting, you know, okay, yeah. when even the Stonewall riots, you know, and this is something that a lot of people are coming back to given uh, that it's yeah, Pride yeah, Month, yeah, even yeah. when it was Stonewall riots, it was, it was a violent protest at the end of the day, you know, if you want to look at anti-colonial movements, you know, coming from India, obviously there's Gandhi's non-violence movements, yeah. but what you can discount are sort of the more harder forms of protesting by other Indian revolutionaries as well. And this is true of the civil rights movement in America as well. You know, you had, you essentially had two very different leaders in the form of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King yeah. who wanted to essentially converge at the same goal, but they had two very different ways to go about it. And you can't say that- But their names are gonna be forgotten at the end of the day. That's the problem with violent protesting. I think your names are wiped away from history. Your impacts are wiped away from history. Nobody knows who Bobby Seale is, like founder of the Black Bandits Party. Nobody knows who like uh, a lot of these like, you know, freedom fighters were in India, for example, right? Like Bhagat Singh. I mean, well, I'm saying he's famous. But no, yeah, yeah. I, I only know him because he's the most famous of those, like. But, like, I think, sure. I just think that as long as we live in, like, a pretty civil, or especially maybe, like, arguably, like, maybe, like, a white-dominated society, right? A lot of, like, marginal groups who use violence to fight for their rights, they're going to be wiped away from society. They're going to be wiped away mm. from the history textbooks. Yeah. And that's all I fear. Because then those, those impacts won't be permanent. Even worse, they could be villainized. You they know? could be villainized. Yeah, they've so like false that's... martyrs, essentially. They, Or like, well, they could be actual martyrs and then like, you know, painted as villain. Yeah. And I think those, the, the impacts that you get from like a peaceful protest are indelible compared to like the whitewashing, the, the, the swiping away of like more violent protests. They, they tend to be le a lot less permanent. That's my only concern. In South right. Africa, you had like the Truth and Reconciliation Committee. There was no like lynching of whites, right? There was just, you know, white person here, black person here, let's talk it out. 
It wasn't that simple. Of course, like, of course. I want to hear your stories about how you were able to justify apartheid, how you were you able to justify this kind of violence, that kind of violence. Of course. Much more you... permanent solution is all, is all I see. It's, it's a lot harder, but I think it's a lot more. And I, I, I think a lot of the people... my opinion. Of course. And I think, you know, the, the source of frustration for a lot of... For, for a lot of African Americans who well I, I say African Americans but let's just let's just say you know the, the the more violent forms of protest you know and people who are engaging in them I guess the major point of contention would be that you know it's gotten up to the point where you know it's the 21st century they've had absolutely enough you know and at this point they're thinking that the system has no conscience and if the system has no conscience that means that they won't be able to to that that means a system and the and when I see the system I mean the our, our overall functioning of the government just everything you know systems of race systems of power everything you know they've 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 lost the belief that these systems have a conscience and that these systems are working actively to promote their benefit you know yeah. and they to think, protect and serve it, 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 exactly exactly yeah. you know and since they're thinking that these people have no conscience, they want, or the, the system has no conscience, these people, they want to, they want to get their point across in a way that they think will be heard. And that way happens to be violence, because ultimately, whether you like it or not, an act of violence, an act of sort of a massive act of protest will go a long way. It will get you in the news. And that is where the sort of discussion that we were having about the media plays in yeah. because it's about how the media chooses to portray this act of violence you know obviously yeah. if it does a lot of collateral damage it will be portrayed in a very very negative light which will shine a negative light on the black lives matter movement it in does general. and that's why i'm scared about because i was watching yeah. like a little bit of tucker carlson last night and he's like reel after reel clip after clip it's just black people destroying shops it's there's no white anarchists there's no nothing there's maybe like a couple like light-skinned latinos but it's all black people <laughs> no right and, and, and yeah. it's scary because that just generates a lot of backlash backlash against blacks and mm-hmm. i think it's really that's very dangerous for mm-hmm. the blm movement for the movement to hold um you know police accountable to reform society to reform police uh the system right it's very dangerous to kind of weaponize these these protests this looting against the public you know that being said these protests are in whatever form that they're being enacted and you're as... giving them the ammunition though like as protesters when you commit a violent form of protest yeah. you give tucker carlson you give hannity yeah you're, the you're, ammunition yeah, exactly, to, to shoot exactly. yourself yeah, at the yeah. end of the day and that's my only concern yeah and these are really the people who are harmful and they're, they're the syst- they're the people that essentially stop the system from being effective in working towards doing good for you or good by you. Yeah. Specifically, I want to zero in on Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity because okay. both of these have been, you know, they, they always spin any sort of Black Lives Matter movement, any death of an African-American in a weird, weird way, which just does not reflect the reality of the situation at all. And these violent protests, unfortunately, would give them firepower. But but that being said, I also want to point out that any protests that are happening right now, it's incredibly important that these protests be allowed to happen because you know there's no doubt, no doubt. there there yeah. is there is absolutely no way that any change will be brought about because this and I, I honestly feel that this I don't want it to be, but this is the Rodney Kings of our time. You know, it, okay. it, it, it is it is like the Rodney King ride yeah. of our time. You yeah. know, of our of specifically our generation. You know, it is it is when the African community wants the world to shake up and hear its voice yeah. once again. Uh, you know, yeah, exactly. because the last time that happened, yeah, everyone heard the voice, but it just 
at, at the end of it, changed. it just became a whimper. It fizzled, yeah. Yeah, it fizzled. That's the, all the, the voice just ended up becoming a whisper. Now that whisper is sort of turning into a shout again, and hopefully some change will be enacted. But for change to be enacted, we need to discuss police brutality because that, I think, the is the center, the crux of this issue, you know? Yeah. The system isn't going to do good by you unless you change that sort of one pillar of it, which in my opinion right now is police brutality. There are there are other facets as well, you know, because yeah, it's been 30, 40 years. My dad is still throwing his you know newspaper on the ground every time he sees a black man die. You know, 30, 40 years this shit's been yeah. at least I mean at least it's been happening. Yeah, right. So, so obviously there needs sucks. to be a systemic change, yeah. and there's there's other systemic. You need to improve. You need to improve the healthcare systems because the the sort of COVID response in African American oh, communities yeah. wasn't great as well. Yeah, you have to like I talked about the the, the media portrayal. You know, African Americans want more rights in sort of their culture. They want more say in how their culture is marketed, essentially, which is not happening. And there's obviously other systemic areas, economic gentrification. These are all big problems. But on this podcast, police brutality, police brutality is what caused these protests. So police brutality is what we should address first and foremost before. And these are equally important as police brutality. The, the, the facets that I mentioned, especially the economics and the healthcare, they're very, very important. Yeah. But you have to sort of talk about what triggered the whole protest in the first place. And yeah. that is that is police brutality. So that is something that we should address first before addressing the other issues. All right. So we're here again to talk about back on the brown box, talk about police brutality. So I want to touch upon what I was saying in the first couple of minutes of the show, that I think it's dangerous for both police, the integrity of police departments and the trust of the people, right? When you have different standards of police brutality for different races of cops, essentially, right? Like Mohammed Noor can, or can like a Somali American, can be convicted essentially of manslaughter, right? For, for, for shooting a woman, right? Uh, Peter Liang, Hong Kong, Hong Konger American, can be convicted for, for manslaughter for in a dark hallway, shooting at a wall, and that wall ricocheting off of the wall and killing someone, he could be convicted for that. Is it ricocheting or ricocheting? R- it's ricoch- ricoch- maybe it's ricocheting, yeah, no, ricocheting. I learned from that David Guetta song, uh, what is David Guetta see a song? Anyway, yeah. um, but then, like, a cop who shoots a 12-year-old kid like Tamir yeah. Rice, right, with a, with a toy gun, he's not convicted, right? And they all, I feel like, they, and they all, all of these cops display a certain sense of ignorance. A cop who uses a sort of chokehold against uh, Eric Garner, who doesn't really know what he's doing, possibly worse, may have had like racial animosity or whatever, right? There's these different kind of levels of, or different standards of police brutality, different standards of conviction that is set up on different races of cops. And I feel that's so, so dangerous to the integrity of our, of our judicial system, to be honest. And it makes the debate a lot murkier, you know, when it, when it doesn't have to be, when it really doesn't have to be, you know, like yeah. you kill someone, you gotta be held accountable, right? Like there may be that willful ignorance, there may be that malice, so just leeway in that aspect, but your mistake costs someone's life, right? Yeah. And when you see like different standards being held for different races of cops, different races That's of the victims, problem. right? So there is a problem, like a sort of racist problem, what you're saying in the police department, where in in, in terms of convictions specifically, yeah. you know, basically like the the fact that uh, someone who's a non-white cop will most likely be convicted of a shooting as opposed to a white cop. So that I think highlights a problem in both the judicial and the police system. Yeah. Like you said, there's more leeway given being given to white cops. So I think that being said, what I really found very troublesome about the US policing system, and I'll give my experience. So I obviously, like I've said multiple times, um, I'm, I currently study in the UK and I'm from India originally. Now, both of these countries, patrolling cops, 
aren't allowed to carry firearms. And I know for a fact that there's other countries like New Zealand as well that don't allow patrolling officers to carry cops because maybe precisely because of these problems, you know, we all know that India has a problem that India is dealing with a problem with racism against its minority communities as well. You know, Mm -hmm. so I think potentially like giving a gun in the hands of a patrolling police officer, especially one who's learning the ropes still will be very, very dangerous because he probably will act on his biases as well. You know, he or she actually, they'll probably, you know, want to shoot someone who's Muslim, you know, and that's why I think that it's harmful, at least in India, to give a gun in the hands of a patrolling police officer. Okay. You know, I know that Actually, this we, won't we've apply seen those to encounters too, like Sorobud and Shah. They just like they just do them dirty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's like, true. Yeah. I I don't want I don't want to get into what you do. Yeah. So um, moving but on. Yeah, saying. yeah. And I think if if you want to compare it to a more developed country, because I know India won't exactly be a good standard to be healthy for most Americans. So I'll take the example of the other country that I live in, which is the United Kingdom. I personally don't recall any such shootings. In fact, I have statistics with me. So, you know, in the the year that the United States had, let's see, how many shootings? So in 2018, which is the latest statistic that I have, the number of deaths by sort of fatal force or like unofficial figures based on media reports, there were about 1,165 police deaths, you know? not not taking a racial aspect into this but at the same time if you want to take an example of a country like the united kingdom which does not allow its cops to hold firearms they had about well in 2016 there were six fatalities you know which is provided by the and these figures are and these and these figures are provided officially by the uk home office and the independent police complaints commission yeah you know so Think about it this way, you know, the the statistic that I told you about the United States isn't even an official figure because no official figure was properly even released. And that shows a problem. That's a pretty grave problem, in my opinion, because you have countries like, yeah, you have you have an equally developed, you know, and I know the next thing that a lot of people would say is that the United States has a much bigger population, 330 million as of 330 million, as opposed to, you know, the 67 million population in the UK. But if you take that into proportion, you know, if, if, if you want to look at it in terms of proportion, then if the UK had like, you know, three deaths, then the United States should only be having 50. 15, you know, not <laughs> yeah. 1,165, yeah. right? Because just there's a cre- clear problem here yeah. that is being outlined in these statistics towards the uh, towards the United States policing departments, right? Mm-hmm. A thing that, in my opinion, that a lot of people don't talk about, but we actually should address is like policing unions, you know? Okay. Because when I was researching this topic, policing unions kept coming up again and again because I think these are the real sort of they're enacting any proper reform within the police departments personally i'm a supporter of unions i think unions should exist they do act on behalf of the workers right but when the workers are police officers they're held more accountable than sort of like other unionized labors obviously right the police unions should also act in a manner that is befitting of them to be able to enact proper change happening to, to be able to enact proper change within uh, these departments. So let me give you an example. Uh, and this, this I saw as I think a lot of our viewers would have seen. I saw this on an episode of Patriot Act, okay. you know. And so I'm just pulling it off there because when I tried to look into specific statistics about the police union, I wasn't able to find any. And I tried calling up offices as well, but since 
offices are currently closed and there was no one on the phone i wasn't able to get yeah i wasn't able i wasn't able to get sort of proper reports so i'll just take an example of the research that that a netflix a reliable netflix show did also hosted by a brown person which makes it even more reliable for us at least but anyway there was i think a shooting in sacramento which hasan minish talked about there was a shooting in sacramento the police union donated to the district attorney's campaign fund okay. because the unions are allowed to make donations to political campaigns, which is also yeah. a very problematic system in the first place. It's a weird lobbying system. The police union publicly had made a donation and endorsed the district attorney, right? And the district attorney didn't bring any criminal charges to the shooting, to the, to the police officer who yeah. carried out the shooting. And that is just one of many examples of how prosecutors fail to bring about charges against police officers because you also need to realize that police officers and prosecutors work very closely together you know yeah. one can't function without the other you know you can't send one you can't send a perp to jail without a lawyer and you know you can't get a good enough testimony about what happened without a cop, a cop. Yeah. so both of these departments work in very close conjunction with each other and if the district attorney's office uh, convicts a police officer that the police union does not want to be convicted the police union has every right to just you know stop functioning properly and in conjunction with the prosecutor's office provide a more fair account of what happened so, so there's a clear problem there is accountable to unelected officials to yes the police. That, to the that's police. a problem that's intrinsically a problem that is democracy. 100% in in Sacramento and in San, uh was it Sacramento or San Francisco I can't remember which one some place in California yeah. one of the DAs he is trying to sort of introduce a law and he's appealing to the state legislature uh, to the state uh, legislature to introduce this law and the law is that uh police unions should not be allowed to donate to district attorney campaigns you know to district attorney campaign funds okay. because that That's is cool. such a that is such that that is that is such a big problem because you know they 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 would be donating what i'm assuming in millions because the police union is a very very big union in this country mm-hmm. that just highlights a, a a pretty big discrepancy within the system and you sort of need to start enacting change from these places before you before we can talk about broader systemic change in like before we talked about firearm training or conflict deescalation you know yeah. first things first Let's let the police union sort of take it down a notch and stop protecting police officers who are convicted of murdering innocent people with such conviction. Maybe they should step back a bit as well. The police department should be a lot more transparent in terms of whenever there's a misdemeanor because the police department does not make any information about misdemeanor public. So if we want to know more about the officer who killed George Floyd, yeah. you know, we can't know everything about him because the the Minnesota Police Department won't be releasing everything officially because they're not legally required to do so. All all they're required to do so is all right, so this guy had about, you know, misdemeanor complaints against him or like forgetting the exact term for it, but whenever there's an, an no, official so complaint against so the police officer like, Complaint, obviously, like complaints against them, like um, Chalman did. To the Chinese officer who was like standing on the back, he just immigrated from China. And he already had seven. <laughs> he already had seven. Yeah, complaints. yeah. This, is, this, this, this. The, no, I mean, the, I'm joking. That's a little right. lighthearted, but like, of for course, real, like, no, no, no. I agree. Do have like they got the, 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 the police them, officer? They're still allowed to operate in these dangerous zones. The police officer who wrong. killed the police officer who killed George Floyd had about one complaint against him for every year. So he had about oh, 17 shit. complaints in 19 years of service. That's almost one complaint every single <laughs> yeah. year. You know, which is way above the average complaint. that someone should have and these yeah. complaints and the reason for these complaints aren't exactly made public if you want to talk directly about how the system has failed 
African Americans in terms of convicting an, an, an officer yeah, accused of shooting, yeah, yeah, in terms of holding them accountable, presidential candidate Amy Klobuchar did not, when she was the district attorney in Minnesota, she did not bring in charges towards, I think, the same officer who killed George Floyd, you know, oh. and she is really being accused and of this. And remember Kamala Harris. Her. Kamala yeah. Harris was smoking weed while, like, you know, prosecuting these pot smokers, right? <laughs> well, you know, that was a big right. criticism. Of course, of course. Yeah, massive. Yeah. That was a massive criticism. That so. Very, very hypocritical yeah. of her, you know? And same thing with Amy Klobuchar, because she kept campaigning about sort of more active change within the state, within the system, when really she failed to bring in against charges against the same guy who would go on to commit, uh, to commit another atrocity against an unarmed black yeah. man. And she was in California, you said? No, Minnesota. Minnesota. No, yeah. the same police officer who killed George Floyd. Amy Klobuchar failed to prosecute gotcha. him when a police oh, complaint shit. was brought okay. to her first. That's because she, she is from Minnesota. She was yeah. a district attorney oh. at Minnesota, public prosecutor for the state. So Dude, the thing even happened in like South Bend, Indiana, with with Pete Buttigieg. Like these these atrocities are happening in like the smallest of towns. Yeah, yeah, they feel you know I mean? and, that's, that's my and, concern. And these and that that's the problem because these officers fail to bring these officers prosecutors fail to bring these officers to justice because of how closely they work with the police union or how closely they need to work with cops. It's like a that's symbiotic a, relationship. It's, it's, it's a symbiotic, and, exactly. Yeah. And, and if they charge a police officer with murder, if they demand more accountability, then the cops can simply just stop supporting them, yeah. right? And that is something that they can't have. So they're like, all right, you know what? We'll just let another atrocity go and check. Oh, you know what? We'll let another shooting go and check. No criminal charges, no criminal charges here. And eventually, I think it has just simmered into what we have and, today. You know, yeah. it all culminates into this. And that is that is a systemic problem that we need to address. And um, with, union, with unions, it's not just the money too. It's that badge of honor saying like, hey, you know, I'm a law and order candidate. Because I feel like ever since like the 60s, 70s, and 80s, what I've noticed, and I've, I've watched like some of these presidential debates like with Dukakis versus um, like Bush or whoever Dukakis was facing like Dukakis was like he was not a law and order candidate right so that's that was the whole point he was a much more liberal candidate and he had allowed a a black convict to go out right he was convicted of murder he was like you know what you've reformed you can go out the convict goes out and like kills and rapes another person right so Dukakis got a lot of, lot of flack for that right because like he has to be like staunchly law and order and stuff and what the debate commentators asked Dukakis to his face was, if that person that the black convict raped was your wife, would you still let him out? And Dukakis just sat like on the debate stage and he, he ended up losing the, the fucking election, you know, because there's no response. Like, what is? The, the fucking system is so polarized where you either have to be law and order or you're just fucking, you're, you're, you're in for a free for all or you're like an anarchist. Yeah. And it's so, it's so stupid. Totally. Or you're like, you're a cuck. You just let your fucking <laughs> wife get raped. Right? Like, you're the law and order or you're a cuck. And yeah. that is so dangerous for, for discourse about, you know, what's the proper kind of yeah. reaction to if, if someone commits fraud, do you fucking kneel on them for nine minutes? You know? Because that's, that's considered law and order nowadays. Yeah. No, I do you mean, shoot looters, I, I totally you know, agree. taken from a Gucci store? That's, that's considered law and order. You pay, you, you pay yeah. Your life as a price, you know, yeah, yeah. instead of a couple hundred dollars yeah. for a purse. You know, it's crazy. It is crazy. One of, well, there's no, there's no exactly. Way. There's this is exactly what I was talking about about the system having this critical failure, which yeah. has allowed these protests to happen in the first place. And this is what needs to change. This is what we need to focus. This is what we need to bring attention to. This is what everyone who's posting, you know, pictures of the black screenshots that was on Blackout oh, Tuesday. The, By the yeah, way, congratulations. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I wanted to congratulate <laughs> Instagram. I wanted to congratulate Instagram for uh, solving racism Yo. by posting a black oh, screenshot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
good job Instagram. Everything is fine now. Yeah. The system has changed. You know? Okay, uh, that was that was just a joke, mostly targeted towards thirteen-year-old girls and guys, not specifically. Cut cut the girls part out. This is this is gonna get this is gonna, we're gonna get a lot of flack what? here. We're gonna get a lot of flack here. Um, our whole audience is thirteen-year-old girls. Yeah, our whole audience is thirteen-year-old girls. Can't disappoint them. So thirteen-year-old guys or girls, whatever, teenagers. You know, yeah. there are some people doing some great stuff on Instagram. Totally. Adding some very useful links to their bios and there's some accounts that are really directing adding you towards to the, the right resources. Totally, yeah. Adding to the discourse, you know, you should really donate to a cause and I would urge everyone to donate. Just every single donation would go a long way yeah. to supporting a cause that you sincerely believe in. That is something that we need to bring to everyone's attention before we segue into our uh, next topic because I would also like to quickly address the South Asian communities and the Asian and other minority oh. communities about what exactly is going on. I wanted to add our specific perspective on this since we're obviously not black, we're the brown box. So yeah. we should be adding We're specifically not the black box. Yeah, we're specifically That's not the black box. Exactly. Definitely need to address the sort of concerns that a lot of uh, South Asian Asian yes, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's a unique one, yeah. For sure. So, right. so we will be, we'll discuss. No, we'll discuss that right after the break. I thought we were Yeah, after the break, yeah, yeah, very soon. Coming back from the break, just we wanted to add sort of a unique brown perspective on this whole issue. And first thing I wanted to really address was the fact that owing to the fact that South Asian cultures and even Asian cultures aren't really exposed to black people, there is rampant anti-blackness within the South Asian and the Asian communities, you know, and as people who've dealt with these issues, who've seen these issues happening before their eyes, I feel like if you're South Asian, if you're Asian, it is up to you to have a discussion at your family table, as awkward as it may be, or maybe to call out the a casual racism or a casual racist remark that a family member of yours makes, you know. Obviously, we are minorities as well, you know, and each minority here has his own struggles. For example, the United States government won't give me a green card, but, you know, um, I'm just I'm just saying, I'm just saying. It's clearly up to us to talk to our parents about this, to talk to our other family members about this and sort this out because they don't have exposure to other cultures as much as we do, to as, mu to as much as we've seen living in a multicultural environment, you know. South Asian families would be coming and addressing this issue from really a place of ignorance because they haven't interacted with these cultures enough and this really as and especially as brown people i mean how many brown kids have you seen trying to ape black culture just countless it's just it's it's a, it's, it's a thing said the and yeah, yeah no, I massive you. I like you. you know there's a rampant use of n-word and just sort of trying to ape their identity rather than maintaining your own you know yeah, yeah. It's all, we're essentially all in this together, but we have to realize that as people of color, that there are sort of, it's a tiered structure of racism. There is racism against us. There's racism against Asian people, but the racism against black people, let's be honest, is much, much more on a greater scale. Mm -hmm. And that is something that we need to realize as South Asians, because the racism personally that I've faced or as that, that other South Asians have faced. Parents have faced exactly. Just doesn't compare. Doesn't compare to my yeah. grandparents. I mean, being weirdly chains. enough, the worst like the, yeah. the, the worst thing that happened to my dad, which also weirdly enough happened in Minneapolis. Oh, you know, fuck. Yeah. Minneapolis needs to sort this shit together. But no, well, my dad was there for a business discussion or for a meeting. You know, and someone started shouting racist slurs at him mm -hmm. in Minneapolis and told him to go back to where he came from. This is pretty bad and it shouldn't happen to anyone, obviously, you know? Yeah. Again, Indians and Asians aren't targeted as threats by cops, by the justice system. They aren't done dirty by the judicial and the policing system. Both of these, to a great extent, 
work in our favor work with us you know mm-hmm. don't don't deny us opportunities of equality in that sense and that is something that that is a privilege that we need to recognize as well obviously you know most of this would be directed to white people by protesters by the media by everyone who's engaging in these protests but this is something that we need to realize as people of color ourselves that we are not completely you know free from the racist aspect as well you know especially against uh, african americans yeah. and indian culture specifically has an anti black history and when i when i mean anti black like darker people in india are discriminated against as well totally, you know totally. there's there's Look a clear Bollywood, Bollywood movie. yeah exactly there's totally. there's a there's a clear cultural bias there you know in 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 our songs in our music videos yeah. fucking fair and lovely we were putting you know? our fair and lovely on before the podcast you know just to look better or he speaks for himself. For myself. Yeah. <laughs> I am already fair and lovely. <laughs> Hashtag accept me, white people. No, please don't. <laughs> this, is the, this is the whole problem. No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. It's, it's no, that is, so. that is part of the problem. And I mean, you know, we clearly need to address this sort of the anti-blackness within our culture. And I'm, I don't mean against black people, but the darker skinned Indians, in our, we discriminate against them. That is something that we need to work on first, you know, and it goes towards Asian cultures as well. I mean, I think everyone's seen that ad of the Chinese ad where uh, she throws a black guy into uh, a washing oh, machine yeah, yeah. and then a Chinese out. guy comes out you know a magic detergent you know um, clearly you know we, we have evidence we have we have clear evidence of this it's racist just like bias insensi- you know? insensitivity it, it yeah, is it is you, you, you need to help counter this insensitivity that. you know and if your parents for some reason say like hey you know don't support this cause or whatever tell, tell them why you're supporting this cause tell them Tell them why you want to do this and why this is important for you, you know, because mm-hmm. civil rights movement historically have been so closely linked, you know, Martin Luther King's biggest inspiration was Mahatma Gandhi and so was Nelson Mandela's. And whether we as Indians like to admit it or not, Gandhi was an extremely racist person, you know, mm-hmm. when he fought for rights in uh, South Africa. In South Africa he specifically fought for the rights of Indians and chose to exclude black people from that. You know, he wasn't very okay. overtly anti-black, obviously, but that bias still existed within him. These movements, you know, the apart- the anti-apartheid movement, the civil rights movement, they've, they've both borrowed from the Indian movement of independence so much, you know, so much so that they wouldn't exist without them. And as a South Asian, you would not be in this country living your life without the civil rights movement movement. so both of these movements especially you know for people who live here or have lived here for a while it's so interconnected and it's something that we really need to appreciate and the second thing that i wanted to say was fellow indian citizens all right i i just wanted to point out that i've seen on on, on a lot of my indian friends and a lot of bollywood celebrities as well posting about black lives matter and all of that and Totally, obviously, you have to express and be in solidarity with them. Yeah. But that being said, you know, there's very little that you can do affecting change in a country that is 5,000 miles away from you. We have a lot of racism happening in India right now, and I haven't seen enough people or enough so-called Instagram activists be active about that on, you know, sort on of... Indigenous so, so, issues. Exactly, yeah. on, on indigenous issues. And more more so actually I've, I've seen a lot of my friends be active about it for sure and my friends are they're really on top of this you know and they're they're doing everything that we're doing now Plug. for black lives matter in america but bollywood celebrities for one you know and other other indian celebrities people who have real influence like exactly people, influence. exactly people yeah. who have real tangible influence they will post about black lives matter sure it's great to show solidarity right and i'm all for it but why don't you show solidarity when a Muslim is lynched in India or Dalit people are not able to get jobs simply because of an outdated caste system. You know, this is all issues that we need to address. And 
when I say this, it's also important to realize that now this movement is very, very global. You know, I am supporting this movement as an Indian citizen because I can see this movement bring about real change in India as well. You know, if we as sort of as, as Indians mobilize and sort of support that cause as well, you know, and this is clearly tapered off into other countries where racism is still a big problem, where racism still exists. This is a movement, I think, it's because of the digital age that we live in, because of how connected we are as a society right now, and because we're all sitting at home helpless in a global pandemic. Yeah we have started seeing these issues with a different lens. I think we should we should express solidarity with all of the movements that are happening across the globe that are helping the oppressed gain their voice back. And mm-hmm. that is that is something that uh, that I would like to end the podcast with and uh, hopefully we had a productive discussion here. You know, we just really talked about what we felt was the problem in this system. Yeah. And obviously the episode was light on jokes. Hopefully there is real change and hopefully we and can move on from this. this. Yeah, we just want to add to the, to the discussion, to the discourse. Yeah, that's all. to the discourse in general. Just do your yeah. part. Donate or Donate, add to yeah. the discourse. We'll, we'll, be adding we some, we'll, we'll be adding some links in our YouTube description to mm-hmm. charities that we're supporting. Personally, if you want to support changes in within the police institution there's a great charity called campaigns here that you can donate to and that really it's trying to bring about effective change within the policing system and obviously if you're indian watching this podcast there was a cyclone cyclone i'm fun recently you know you should donate donate to the relief support for cyclone uh in bengal right in in in, to the cyclone in bengal mumbai 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 just dodged uh bullet recently because the cyclone wasn't as bad as it was predicted to be fortunately but there's still plenty of migrant workers that need to be sent back home during this covid pandemic prime minister's relief fund isn't doing enough so we should all uh if you're indian especially contribute to this cause as well and again we're going to be adding links in the description to charities that i've me and rohat have personally donated to verified charities It'll, it'll be great to help show support and solidarity with the oppressed during this time and with that, we will see you next week. And next week, we'll put out the episode that we sort of delayed. It's a lighter episode. Again, a little bit more informative. This has to do with like Eastern yeah. Western culture. Eastern Western culture. Talks about privilege. Yeah. A little more academic. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Enjoy yeah. this episode too. And then Thank after you. that, we'll be back with lighter episodes after we post out the next one. And which will be heavier on jokes and we'll be returning to the initial format of the podcast yeah but for this i mean for this episode just let us know like what you think yeah honestly if, like if we were wrong at any point i'd love to like of course engage in a discussion we're all just young trying to learn our yeah. points are quite malleable and, and, and we try, just try to like search out for principles you know that's all and, to do. and for regular updates on the podcast also you can follow our instagram follow page us, yeah uh, we'll be posting regular updates about the episodes that we'll be uploading it's the same as the brown box podcast that's the name of the instagram, instagram uh yeah. So follow that and uh, hopefully you learned something from it because I know we learned a lot about the systems and I guess the racial inequality in general, you know, and uh, hopefully this brings about the much needed change that the African-American community deserves. Like this movement overall. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you. See you next time.